Hi and welcome again to This Is Community, a Volunteer Galway podcast. My name is Donica Foley and in each episode we speak to someone living in Galway who is trying to make Galway and the world around them a better place. We find out a little bit about their work, why they got involved in it and just a little bit about their, their own life as well outside of work. A few days ago, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Neil Johnson, who's CEO of Cree. Cree is based in the Newcastle area of the city, and Cree's aim is to lead the fight against heart disease and stroke, and its focus is on the west of Ireland. Their mission is to prevent disease, save lives, promote recovery and well-being. So I sat down with Neil to have a quick chat with him about his work and his life. If you're interested in volunteering in general, you should check out our website, which is www.volunteergalway.ie. And there are some notes at the end of this episode that give you some direction on how to use the website. But for now, let's go talk to Neil Johnson, CEO of Cree. So Neil, how are you doing? You're very welcome onto the show. Thank you, and uh, good to have you here in our centre. Thanks, thanks, thanks very much. Actually, can, can, before we get started talking about the Cree's work, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you actually ended up being the, the CEO of Cree? Oh, uh, that's a long story. Uh, where will I start? So, first of all, um, I am a, a native of West Limerick. Okay. I came to college here and finished college in the early 80s. And um, I actually did a, a postgraduate degree in psychology, of all things, which is totally unrelated to what I'm doing now. And um, my initial sort of uh, work was... Uh, believe it or not, working with kids who were abusing alcohol and substances. So I was sort of working on the periphery of the youth services in Galway at that time. And uh, the project itself required uh, funding. So that was my very first experience of uh, trying to find funding to, you know, to do things. First of many, I'd say. First of many. And then uh, uh, what happened then was that project ran for a couple of years and it was enjoyable. And basically the money was running out and I saw a job advertised uh, for West of Ireland Cardiology Foundation, which is an awful mouthful. And I suppose it was like a double bluff, right? Um, they were bluffing uh, about what this job was going to be and I was bluffing about my capacity as what I could do. So, so you were well met. <coughs> we were well met, yeah. yeah. So... Um, so I, 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 I came to Galway, went to college. Um, my first job was, as I say, working in that uh, sort of youth sector, if you like. And then after that, this job uh, popped up. Uh, I applied for it. At the time, I remember thinking, if I get five years out of this, I'll be doing fine. And I'm here 26 years later, so. I mean, I suppose we're, we're, we're sitting here in this amazing facility. I mean, we use it as for our own service. We use it a lot yeah. for training. It's yeah. fantastic. Say so twenty years ago, what what what? Where were you sitting? Or yeah, it's it interesting like? you say that because uh, you know the people who work here now, by and large, the vast majority of them have joined us since this building was built, and there's only I think two people in the building who knew where we came from, yes. and if you saw where we came from <laughs> to where we are now, it's a completely different uh, situation. So you say twenty years ago. Uh, 26 years ago, right? Um, my office actually was a. It was part. It was. A, it was part of an old ward in the old fever hospital in, in GUH. And I remember the very first day I arrived into my new job, I was in a room which was a, a, a ward on a corridor, that had a bed, 
Okay, well, it wasn't obviously made up, unfortunately, or I could have gone to bed for the day. Uh, it had a bed, a table, a chair, and a phone. And I sat there thinking, Mother of God, what have I landed myself into? Because I was on my own in a, what was really a dreary and a deserted building. And I was at the end of this corridor, and it was a bit sort of eerie and... Um, Actually, most, one most of the, start. Yeah, and actually one of the funniest things I remember was I was sitting there looking out the window and it was halfway between the morgue and the, and the back door of the hospital and I used to see the guys going with this trolley, right? And I knew nothing about hospitals or healthcare or whatever and I noticed that the back uh, wheel of this trolley, the back left wheel of this trolley was wobbling as they were heading over towards the hospital. But on the way back, there was no wobble in the wheel. So I put two and two together that there was no body on the way uh, on the way over, but there was a body on the way back. And I thought, Jesus, this is what I have to look at, you know, bodies passing by me uh, every day. So we started from, to answer your question, we started from very humble beginnings. The HSE, the, the, the health board as it was at the time, uh, Eamon Hannan uh, uh, was the CEO. He gave, he gave us, as in Cree, uh, uh, an office. And that was the start of it all. And um, from there, we had to build, I suppose, uh, a network of volunteers, first of all, mm-hmm. fundraisers and support and so forth. And then five years ago, we moved into this building. So this building was like a dream come true in terms of sort of our aspirations and so forth. But it is so far removed from uh, where we came from. And it's fascinating sometimes to meet people who... Uh, come here for the first time, but knew us all those years ago and said, my God, haven't you come up in the world, you know? So it's... Uh, what do you think has been the key to that success? Well, the story, uh, really, uh, our story, quite simply, is this, that uh, back in 1984-85, um, Kieran Daly was appointed as the sort of heart specialist in the region. He basically didn't have the tools to do the work that he was trained to do. Uh, mainly in the area of sort of uh, in the sort of intervention space and diagnostics, so he met some other medics in the hospital. They obviously discussed the situation. Uh, one of those medics, uh, Professor Pat Finnegan, introduced him to a local businessman, Ray Rooney, who was a well-known auctioneer at the time, and asked Ray, would he pull some business people together? And would they sit down and explore the possibility of actually doing something to create a heart unit in Galway Regional Hospital at the time? And um, that small group grew to a bigger group of basically a group of volunteers. And they went out and they started fundraising to build this um, a diagnostic laboratory, which is known as a cardiac catheter lab. And that was about a, in, in those days, that was about a million pounds uh, of a project. And they went and they, they raised all that money and then uh, the, the lab was opened and Galway's sort of heart unit, if you like, started. Uh, and, uh, and then they found that that committee had basically burnt out from, from, from the huge amount of work that they put into it. And there was a few quid left in the bank, not a lot, I think from, from memories about £30,000 left. And they had to decide, do we stop now? Or do we continue to do, uh, you know, do we continue to, to try and, and improve things? And so they decided on the latter and they took a gamble and said, right, we'll go out and we'll see if we find somebody who would drive this forward. Hence the ad, hence my application. 
and hence that double bluff that I, that I mentioned. I remember sitting at the interview and it was like, uh, even though the salary didn't reflect it, it was like I was going to be running a multinational, uh, the way they presented it. Uh, but in actual fact, uh, what was it? It was a, a burnt out committee, a small office, but some vision as to where we could go, um, and clearly huge goodwill locally. And, um, and I suppose I, I took, the, took on the job then of trying to tap into that goodwill. And uh, that, to answer your question, is the success, if you will, of getting us from where we were to where we are now. People power, local people mm. buying into the idea that, yeah, the health service should be the ones that are providing the, you know, the, the, the heart services. But the reality is that we're in the west of Ireland we weren't getting our fair share of the pie financially. Um, and so there was a need for a bit of a sort of carrot and stick approach. So we went out, raised money, sort of bartered, if you like, with the health service said, we'll buy this if you buy that, we'll do this if you do that. And, and that's the way the whole thing sort of, um, sort of grew. And so are you, even to this day, I presume fundraising and volunteering for the charity is, is a big part of it. Oh yeah, I mean, what people don't realize is that we exist and we operate totally uh, on the basis of the funding that we ourselves generate. We are not state funded. Yes, we've got grants to do particular projects, but we have to go out and we have to ask for those grants, we have to put in the bid for those grants, and we have to deliver on those grants before you'll be considered for another grant. Okay. So it is, um, it is truly voluntary fundraising that feeds um, uh, feeds us in terms of uh, allows us to do what we what we want to do. And so, and since, since the organisation has started, I suppose have you seen any kind of societal changes or changes in in the community that has affected your work or changed? Oh your yeah, work? huge huge things, uh, lots of interesting things. I mean, first of all, at, at from, from if you want to take it from the sort of medical side of things, the changes have just been unbelievable. If you take, for example, um, when I started, and I, again, I don't know did I, did I mentioned this to you already, that I knew nothing about heart or heart disease or hospitals or medicine, other than I didn't like hospitals and I, I didn't yeah. like doctors or having to go to the doctor. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at that time, uh, if you had a heart attack in the community, all right, I remember the ambulance guys who we were very friendly with because ultimately we ended up having an office in the ambulance control building. Okay. They used to say that the, the approach to a heart attack was grab and run. Just get into the ambulance, get out there, get the patient into the ambulance, get him into hospital as quickly as possible. And so over the years I have seen that move from that simple grab and run mm. to actually us putting equipment on the ambulances, starting with defibrillators. Okay to um, moving to a state, a state where the ambulance personnel then were upskilled. We now have paramedics, okay? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And we've moved from that grab and run, or we moved rather from that grab and run to again using a, a sort of a term that the ambulance guys and girls used to say, which was stay and play, okay? <laughs> right? So a stay and play was you now go out with your ambulance and you have your equipment. And not only that, but you actually were, were bringing a doctor on board and you were starting the treatment mm. in the community, in the home, in the, wherever the, the heart attack had so occurred. Was possible, yeah. and this was like a really revolutionary sort of concept because when you think about it, if you have to run out to say Tume, 
okay, it's, I don't know, let's say it's 30 minutes out in an ambulance, mm. you load up the patient, it's another 30 minutes back, so now an hour has elapsed before any treatment has commenced. Yeah. Now, with that new approach, then go out, start the treatment, now you're treating within 30 minutes. Yeah. So that was huge. But now we're going back to grab and run again, because now the, 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 the approach is you've got to get the person into hospital as quickly as possible, and you've got to open that archery, that blockage, and that's now done in a, in a hospital uh, lab, uh, where they have what they call a PCI procedure and they put in a stent. Yeah. So now it's back to grab and run again. You go out and at this stage you'll see in Galway uh, very often now, sometimes it's like mash the number of choppers that are flying in and out of here. And that's because they're coming in within this sort of 90 minute window of getting the heart attack at the scene of the heart attack, mm. getting the diagnosis confirmed. Yes, it is a, a particular type of heart attack. Get the patient in an ambulance or a helicopter as quickly as possible Yes, you give them some care and treatment on site, but you move them quickly to get in and have this procedure done. So just in that area, just of that heart attack alone, we've moved from responding with virtually no equipment to responding with equipment to responding with equipment and upskilled ambulance people, upskilled ambulance people and doctors, yeah, yeah. to now upskilled ambulance people going out there, communicating using technology, confirming the diagnosis, using helicopters, and getting them into the hospital within sort of 90 minutes. So now you're having like, have a heart attack, and within 90 minutes of that heart attack, somebody has gone in, in into, into your arteries, opened them up, put in a stent, and you're, you're out the door. Phenomenal. And like, in, in, in a more general sense, amongst the general population, do you think people are more aware of heart disease, stroke? And yeah, so heart disease, yeah, heart disease and stroke still is a, a big challenge. But things have changed. People are still getting heart attacks, mm. but they're they're uh, they're not dying now to the same yeah. extent as they were. What they're doing is they're surviving the heart attack. They're getting in, as I said, in that 90-minute window, and they're getting their treatment and they're going back out. The problem now is that the, it's the longer-term consequences of that heart attack. So things like heart failure, which is a condition that results as a result of the damage that has been caused by the heart attack okay. presents later on down the line. And so what you're doing is you're, to, to some extent, you're sort of postponing a little bit some of the challenges that, uh, you know, that initial yeah. uh, heart attack has presented. Yeah. But there's been phenomenal changes in medicine. Um, but then there was also phenomenal changes in our sort of, the way we were, we were trying to respond to it, particularly in terms of fundraising. So we, we moved from when I started having a zero base of volunteers, and I mean zero, I started with no volunteers, yeah. to creating a pool of volunteers, to creating a sort of a fundraising mechanism which was all around building events and so forth, mm -hmm. to then coming to the crash. And literally, in that year of the economic crash, 60% of our income just disappeared overnight. Wow. And we had to figure out, my God, how do we, you know, yeah. how, do we, how do we survive here? How do we continue to do the things that we want to do. And so we had to reinvent ourselves, we had to adopt a completely different way of doing business, if you will. Because, you see, it, yes, the, we, we're a charity. Mm -hmm. I prefer to consider us as a not-for-profit, right? Yes. Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to run a business of raising money and putting that money to good use yes. using sort of what we consider to be normal business approaches, but the, but the ultimate aim is social gain as opposed to profit. Yes, absolutely. That's the sort of space yeah, we're in, yeah, you know? Yeah. Okay. The, 
I suppose outside of work, what do you do to relax? Jane, Mac, what do I do to relax? Uh, I think my wife and kids say I never friggin' relax. That I think I'm always uh, hyped up. Um, well, I suppose uh, my background, I come from a, a rural background in West Limerick. So first thing is uh, being in touch with sort of the outdoors is important to me. Yes. Uh, I like pottering around in the garden a lot. Uh, when I have time, I like to say, you know, grow a few shrubs, look after the garden, grow a few vegetables. That's my sort of that's my yeah. sort of hobby. Uh, then I suppose as a schoolboy, I used to do a lot of uh, running, and I was uh, reasonably handy, uh, particularly over say 400 meters was an event that I used to particularly like to do. And then I completely stopped running uh, for about 20 years. Okay. And it's nearly taken me another 20 years to try and get back into running again. So now I, I, I've joined Fit for Life, which oh, is this nice. phenomenal uh, uh, activity that happens here in Galway. Big driver behind this, I don't know if you've known her, is uh, Bernie Kelly. She's someone you need to talk oh, to. Yes. Um, yeah. So Bernie has this group that meet in, in West Side. So I go out there twice a week and we do a five or eight K run. So I go for a run two or three times a week. And then I've, I've started to take up the park run, which is another great initiative every, every Saturday morning. Yeah, not the car. Yeah. And then, so a bit of running, a bit of gardening. And then my latest one is, all my life I had, a, I could only really be described as a morbid fear of water. Okay, oh, yeah. I, I, I brought up in West Limerick, I was far away from water anyway. So I couldn't swim and had a serious fear of water. And last summer, my son Daniel decided, okay, we got to deal with this. And he spent his entire summer holidays trying to get me to put my head underwater. That's not, without an exaggeration. Yeah. Hours trying to get me to put my head underwater. Okay. And on the last day of our holiday, I got my head underwater and I went one step further. I actually jumped into the water outside of my depth. And it was like as if it was a eureka moment. And I realized, my God, when you jump into water, you come up. I had this, <laughs> yeah, this yeah. notion that I was never going to come up. So I came back from summer holidays and I went down to Black Rock and I'm in Galway since, as I said, early 80s. I had never been in the water. In fact, I think I met you down there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd never been in the water in Salt Hill. Could you believe that? I have three kids and you know, they all swim and everything. And I went, I said, I'm going to come down now every day and I'm going to try and build my confidence in the water. I can do this splash and paddle stuff. It's, I can't really call it swimming. And I went every day virtually last year swimming. And before I realized it, we're into the cold months and there's only a few people down in Black Rock and I was still paddling around there. Okay. And I have discovered this now as my new thing. My family say to say it's swimming is a major exaggeration. It's really <laughs> immersion. <laughs> so I just jump in, cold water, cold water immersion. immersion, have a splash around and I love it. And it, might, it could all be over in 15 minutes, but it's yeah, brilliant. And, and I love like it. A, I know Black Rock, there's a... There's a, there's there's a, a community. There's there. a social side to it. I, I, well. It's an absolute mind-blowing, actually, the yeah. amount of people to go into Black Rock every day, all year round, which is yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. So uh, to answer your question, you find me in the garden, you find me trying to puff and pant my way around a 5 or an 8K, that's about as much as I can do. And every every day, I try and get a splash in the in the water there in Black Rock. That's a, it's a nice yeah. nice combination. Yeah. Um, what's your favourite thing about living in Galway? I'd say I love Galway for lots of reasons. I think there's something very special about Galway. And as somebody who 
you know, my, my, my mother-in-law at the time said, you know, you're only a blow-in, you blew in the Arnmore Road, which is true. But actually, the more I see it, there's a lot of people who blew in the Arnmore Road and the Hedford Road and the, all the other roads as well. Exactly. So I think it is, yeah. And I think that's probably one of the things that makes Galway particularly, particularly unique. So there's a great dynamic. I love that. Um, it's a, the quality of life here is, you know, uh, like as we talk about Black Rock, I can get into the car and I can be in the water literally in, in 20 minutes. Now, having said that, this morning it took me an hour and 25 minutes to get from my house to here, which is Carnmore Cross to here. Right. And that's the traffic, which is the piece that really bothers me about Galway. That's, uh, yeah, that's the, I was going to ask you, what's the one thing you could, if you could change in Galway? Yeah, I just think this, tra this traffic thing is beyond a joke now at this stage. Uh, you know, simple things of just crossing the city is just a nightmare. Um, but I mean, it's 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 like every it's like every city. It 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 has its challenges. It you know it has its social issues. I mean, the homeless issues is is huge. The the, the housing crisis. Um, but I'd say uh, you know how do you prioritize one over the other? But um, from a practical point of view, f from the point of view of just moving and and, and say doing business for want of work or doing your do, getting to and from work, the traffic's just. Uh, there has to be an answer to it somewhere. Yeah, no, and, and there's, there's health impacts in relation to that as well. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, as I said, I was sitting in the, I was sitting down for that period this morning, and blood pressure probably going through the roof, yeah. thinking, "Am I ever going to get, yeah. uh, get, uh, you know, get out of this?" You know. The just to finish off with a, a nice, easy question: Why do you do what you do? Oh my God! Why do I do what I do? Well, to be perfectly honest with you, the first thing is this: is my job, right? So yeah. this is a job, um, but. Um, I often think if I had chosen a different route, uh, you know, what, what is it about this that has kept me here for so long? And um, I think, you know, uh, it might sound a bit corny, but I actually genuinely feel that the work we do here, not just me, all of us here, makes a difference. Mm. And there's a great feeling about being able to go home at the end of the day and say I made a difference. Yeah. Give you an example. As, re as, as, as recent, you know, as recent as yesterday. No, sorry, two days ago, I got a phone call from a guy who. He, this is what he said. He said, Neil, I'm ringing you. You haven't heard from me in years. In fact, I haven't heard from him in about seven years. He said, 15 years ago, you came to me uh, in the company I was working with, and you said we need to have a defibrillator in our organisation. Okay, and and you were right. And we, we, we got, they got a defibrillator, and he was the first person, one of the first people to be trained in how to be a first responder. Yes. And he said, 15 years later, last Sunday, I was standing at the side of a pitch watching my 15-year-old son play football. And it was a wet, miserable day, and you had parents and children standing on the sidelines shouting for their teams. And in the dying minutes of the game, a ball came in and hit a 15-year-old on the chest. Okay. And he wobbled but then after the wobble, collapsed, lifeless on the pitch. Okay. He said, I ran out and I realized we have a cardiac arrest in our hands here. And he said, I sprung into action and I was assisted by one or two other people and we started CPR. And we were doing CPR for probably 15, 20 minutes. Mm. I think all told the whole process took about a, a half an hour and somebody arrived with a defib. And he said, and remember, you know, I was, I was taught how to use the defib. And we administered a shock, one shock, and the boy uh, basically was resuscitated. Wow. 
the, 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 the consequence of excellent CPR and defibrillation in that situation was this hugely successful outcome. And he said, I'm just ringing to let you know that that, that approach you made 15 years ago, the skills I learned there have actually been deployed this week and there's a 15-year-old boy and a family, parents who have a, a child who could otherwise not be with them. Now, that is just one example yes, of, of course, yeah, the yeah. sort of stuff that we experience here. I won't say we, it's as dramatic as that on a daily basis, but mm. we meet families who are affected by heart, stroke, diabetes, obesity, the challenges of living with chronic conditions, um, you know, the trauma of sudden death, um, all, all of this stuff uh, we, we, are, we are part of trying to make things better. Yeah. And um, that's, that's, you know, there's a good feeling to that. And there's a sense of, uh, actually, you know, we're making a difference. I think a, bit, a big part of it, it, it sounds like a big part is, is that the, the skills are not just retained by the professionals, they're brought out as much as possible into the community. Absolutely. To be able to respond as, yeah. as Well, in that as situation, <clears throat> to be honest with you, you know, speaking to, say, the nurses in, in, in CCU here in the hospital, they'll tell you now more and more they're seeing people arriving into the hospital who have had, uh, who have been resuscitated in the community by lay people, first responders, yes. yeah. just taught that basic skill of how to pound in somebody's chest. I mean, it's just... Now, obviously, all of these situations aren't as successful as that. And, mm. you know, when you're in cardiac arrest, you're effectively dead, you're clinically dead, yeah. and you have a 15-minute window max if, if with CPR and defibrillation, if the rhythm can be brought back of potentially saving a life. But there are lives being saved now uh, in Ireland, certainly on a weekly basis, as a result of lay people learning how to do CPR and having access to a defibrillator. Exactly. So that is, a, that is an important uh, okay. message, I suppose. Um, before we finish, is there anything else you'd like to tell, say to anybody who's listening? Uh, well, I suppose since you're here in Cree, uh, uh, and if there is anybody listening who uh, has any any sort of uh, link with us at all, I just want to say sincerely that uh, I wouldn't be here, we wouldn't be here, this building wouldn't be here without the support of the people of Galway and indeed further afield. And, you know, people sometimes say to us, oh, aren't you great? You've got a big building and aren't you very successful and all of that. Actually, we here, genuinely, we don't talk about success. We try to talk about impact. Yes. Are we making an impact? Are we making a difference? And we genuinely, constantly ask ourselves, is what we're doing making a difference? And that's our sort of agenda here. Can we make a difference in cardiovascular health? And to anybody listening who has, at any point in their, in their, in their lives, supported us, responded to an appeal, made a donation, whatever, I just want to say thank you. And... Um, and to be assured that those who do support us, that we're constantly focused on how we can uh, show the, demonstrate the impact of that support. Lovely, that's, that's a fantastic way to finish. Thank you, Neil. That's all, thank you. So many thanks to Neil for joining us on the show. As I mentioned earlier, if you're interested in volunteering in general, you can check out our website, www.volunteergalway.ie and there are some additional notes on Cree's work at the end of this episode as well. But until next time, I hope you enjoy yourself and talk to you soon.